Hey, everybody. Welcome back to season two of Recovering Church Girls. And I know I say this every single time, but once again, I'm so excited to introduce you to Tamara Arnold. Uh, she is a dear, dear friend, an author, a business energy consultant. She's got all sorts of really great things going on in her world. And I want to share her with you for so many different reasons. Um, but as always, we're just going to jump right into the conversation. First of all, hi, Tamara. Hi, Tanya. Hi, friends. <laughs> I love it because that's just kind of the way this is. Like, as soon as you start the conversation, we're like, okay, we're all in. We're all friends. We're, we're in this together. Yes. Um, so here's a question for you. Starting off with this whole idea of recovering church girls, um, and you have been nudging me for, what, the last year of like, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? You've been in on the, the ground floor, if you will, <laughs> of this whole thing coming to life over the past several months in the past year. When we first started talking about this idea of recovering church girl, what came up for you? Did that resonate with you at all? What, what's your experience to that? Well, of course it resonated with me because I know it resonates with a huge population of human beings all over the earth, right? Because anytime we are taught something that doesn't necessarily fit with our internal energetic space, there comes a, a time where, in my personal opinion, that we have to break down the belief, whether it came from the church as a very dominant voice in a majority of people's lives or other people in our lives, our parents speaking, uh, you know, gospel. However, we need to break that down and rebuild ourselves and the concept and the belief system of who we are and what it is that we want to place out into the earth. And so for me, when you we had that conversation and you said recovering church girls in a call with me. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. Yes, please. <laughs> yes. This needs to be done because even in the work that I do as an energy strategist, right. And I'm in, I'm, I'm merged with people's energy. I can feel the disharmony and the discord and the, and the discomfort that comes along with trying to hold on to something that no longer fits as a belief. Mm. Yeah. And that's exactly it. It's the idea that there's pieces of this that may still fit, but the vast majority of it doesn't. And what do I do with that? Um, and I want to be very clear too, that you specifically were very instrumental for me helping to kind of unpack a lot of this and so much of that process, you know, you were right there with me. <laughs> so thank you once again we're for that. Like pass the tissues or, you know, stand out of the way while I throw the tissue box across the room. It just kind of depends, you know, whichever moment that was. Yeah, but that but that's the thing. Like it's the permission because like truly, truly, truly I believe. So I work with internal energy space for those who don't know me in in any way, right? And so when we look at our human bodies as having seven floors of energy, right? I call them the chakras. You can know them as anything else, but just for anybody to understand, it's like your body is broken down into seven floors. And you know, we over time hoard a belief or different experience or people onto our different floors. And I, you know, I have to do it because it's such a huge thing right now. Marie Kondo's massive and the whole tidying up movement for the external, you know, house and home, but like, no word of a lie. You need to do that for your internal <laughs> body as well. Like you need to go into each floor, look at the boxes that you've collected and open them up and say, does this spark joy? Is this part of my being? And like when we were doing the, the religion piece, right? Like you have to be willing to keep that which still 
vibrates as being your essence and your truth and your knowing. And, you know, it's not about giving up who you are. It's not giving up what you believe in. It's choosing what still resonates and letting go of all the things that don't anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. So take us back. What is your experience growing up when it relates to church or organized religion or spirituality? What did all this look like for you? This was a journey. Are you how long we got? No. <laughs> <laughs> it all began like I remember being a young little girl, and you know, my nanny was very, very much part of our Anglican church. And so we used to pack up, get all dressed up on Sundays and and go off to to church. And um, I am not a lectured learner, never have been, never will be. I didn't finish high school. I can't just sit there and absorb information by one person standing in front of me. So I was a very distracted churchgoer. Shouldn't surprise anyone who knows me. And <laughs> I would look forward to Sunday school so much, right? But it was like geography class for me. I had no idea what I was looking at. All I wanted to do was color. And so I spent time and I knew that even though I was present there, right? I was absorbing without listening. Mm. And that's the only way that I can explain it. And so like my church experience is generally not even sitting, listening to the sermons. Even by the time I was of the age to participate on that side or on that, you know, with the congregation, I started teaching Sunday school. Mm. I just had no interest in being in the pews <laughs> listening to the person, right? <laughs> you wanted to be the person. I wanted to be, uh, yeah, I always wanted to be the instructor, the coach, the teacher, the thing, right? And, uh, and it's funny because I know I can remember sitting there and teaching the Sunday school kids about what the coloring pages were about. But again, it was as if it was through a cloud without mm -hmm. attachment to it. Uh, because there was a lot of it, I, I think, even then looking back that didn't resonate. And so baptizing confirmed Anglican. But as soon as I got to um, the age of about 16, I like, well, probably 15, I just stopped all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. Um, what I didn't know then that I know now is that I am an extreme empath. And so uh, my journey takes a little bit of a dive, you know, a little <laughs> bit of a, you know, getting just caught a twist up. in a turn. There's some twists and turns created here where I began you know, numbing by the time I was 17 with, with drugs and alcohol, um, because I just didn't want to be feeling everything. And by 19, I was pregnant. And then in my early 20s, I dated an atheist for um, probably close to a decade. And in that, it really screwed me up. I won't lie. Mm. Uh, because it's not that I didn't believe, because I always have had a belief, but that was the moment where everything that I did believe in got questioned. Was it better to not believe? Is it easier to not believe? Could I be that person? Um, and it ended up causing me to have some patriarchal issues, because I had daddy issues, and then I had God issues, right? <laughs> so I, I had some like, really discomfort around the whole man side of things. So when my spirituality came back, it was done in the, in the form of feminine and goddess because I was still not allowing that, that masculine energy into my being, into my life. Mm. And it wasn't until, cause when I got pregnant at 19, I had a child who had severe mental illness, which 
you know, took me through a big chunk of my journey. And when him and I could had a toxic relationship and couldn't be in each other's lives anymore, that's when my spirituality actually came full circle back to me. That's when I began meditating. That's when I began to receive guidance. And um, from there, my entire world, right? I get, you know, I, I totally see that there needs to be balance in this world. So we need masculine and feminine. We need to have, you know, the ability to trust that there is something greater than us. What Ever it may be I don't believe it has to be one thing because our human body can't hold on to things that aren't ours to hold on to and having the freedom to give what we're going through away to something greater whether you think of it simply as Scientology right and, and universe and all of these we have to unload energy from us to something somewhere mm. that's where I'm at <laughs> yeah, I'm like, and, and that's actually a nutshell version, <laughs> which, yes. you know, I'm like, and I think that's the thing with so many of us, we tend to think that we're so isolated in our experiences and that we're the only ones that, you know, f had questions or felt like something didn't really match up to what we knew to be true as opposed to what we were told was true. And at the same time, there are so many of us that have had the same experiences and are now in this process together, but it's so easy to think that, you know, our lives are just these like highlight moments. Well, this happened and then this happened, but there's so much depth that goes from, you know, highlight to highlight. And it's that internal, the introspective, it's the, the community, it's who are you with? It's, you know, all of these different pieces really impact who we are and the process we're going through. So you mentioned this idea of the long-term relationship with the atheist. I'd love to dig into that a little bit more and understand, you mentioned that that, that really flagged some things for you as far as the patriarchy is concerned. What, what did that look like? How did that show up? And it's interesting. So just a side story here. I have two children and one is um, baptized Anglican and one has never been baptized. Like just to, to show you like the, because my, the atheist is the one I had the child, the second child with. <laughs> so we don't have any religion attached to her in any way. Um, so I, you know, I come from a broken family. Um, I don't have, or I didn't have a close relationship with my father growing up. Right. And I felt wounded by the fact that I didn't see him. Now, when you're a child, you can't associate to whether it's because it's with your mom that the issue is happening or it's with your, you, you know, we, t we internalize that. We think that, you know, our, our, our fathers don't want to see us and it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with them. It has to do with how children pick up what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And so I had this, is like, internal belief that I wasn't good enough for my dad, right? I, I didn't matter what I would do, I just wouldn't get his attention. And that was the way the legal, you know, agreement was between my mom and my dad. But for a young child, you don't understand. So right. I felt very abandoned by my father um, growing up. And, and then you get into this place of, you know, when I left the church and started to go down the wrong road, 
you know, I can honestly say it felt like having come through a, a parent, my mom had mental illness, right? So I took care of her again, not by her, just by a child's like desire to make their, their mother happy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there were other familial issues that had been going on. And I got to that space of saying, as maybe some of your viewers or listeners have, which is why would God do this to me? Like, why mm-hmm. would you put me through all of this? Right. And on top of that, I tried to run away from mental illness, right? I ran to Brazil on a rotary exchange and you name it. I was, I was wherever I could go. And then I come home and I have a child who is high, like I call it extreme parenting in terms of mental illness. And I was like, you've got to be effing kidding me. Like mm-hmm. no God would choose this for a human. Mm. Nobody would put somebody through this. And so, yeah, I had a lot of discomfort in believing. Like, I just totally felt abandoned by all men, right? Whether, like, I had a string of terrible relationships. Like, it was just, like, this pattern that kept, like, proving itself over and over and over to me again and again that where men were not trustworthy and nothing I ever did was good for them or good enough for them. And I would just call to me somebody else who would let me know that that's exactly how men were, right? Mm-hmm. So like eventually it was the breaking of that cycle in particular that allowed me to see completely different with men. Men, you're great if you're listening <laughs> right now. <laughs> and that's why we have the asterisks behind Recovering Church Girls, because it's not just the girls' stories that we tell, it's the guys too. So <laughs> they're, they're here. Okay, so I, that makes me think all sorts of different things. Thinking specifically about the patterning, because I think that that's one of the strongest factors in religious teaching, in society, in the things that we absorb from so many different places, there is a pattern to be found if we're willing to take the time to slow down and take the blinders off and to recognize what we've been told to think, believe, feel, how to behave, you know, et cetera, and so forth. What was that process like for you? How did you start to identify what the patterns were? And then just as importantly, to change something in that pattern, how did you break it? It, it was a, it was a hard fall. I'm not going to lie. Um, because you know, my life, the way that it was, I was in therapy from the time I think I was 13 years old and on. And then I found like my therapist, as I call her, like the dream therapist, probably when I was like 23 and I, she's still my, my dream therapist. Like <laughs> once you find one, stick with them. Truly, <laughs> And so I always had somebody to see my blind spots. And this was an essential piece of me being able to see the patterns when I was ready. Because I can promise you, I was very angry angry with her for a majority of our, our time together because I didn't want to listen and I didn't want to believe what she said. So for instance, um, when things were heightened with Ethan, she would tell me to read a book like Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. And I would basically be like a rebellious teenager and say, screw you, I don't want to read that book. Because <laughs> What's really interesting is that we will always resist the very thing that's going to shift us into the next version of ourselves, right? So and speaking I, of being mad at people telling you what you want to hear, every time I would hear you say the word resistance, I swear, I was like my inner three-year-old crossing my arms and stomping my foot and saying no, because that is like pretty much my reaction <laughs> in the process of you helping see my blind spots. So yeah, that sounds very familiar. And I just want to call out for anybody who might not... Um, 
get all the, the family line. Ethan is your son, your firstborn. Yes, my firstborn. So I have two biological children and uh, now I have two stepchildren as well. So I am a mama of four fabulous children. <laughs> um, so I don't, So when, you know, we get that information, we're going to have uh, the ego get involved and say, screw that. If you read that book, you're going to shift yourself into something greater. So I rebelled very strongly to everything that my therapist was telling me. And I stayed in this cycle of what I call the struggle or the self-abuse. And, you know, I chose, you know, aligning with people who would validate how, you know, low I was or how rough my life was or how terrible things were and would drink with me and would help numb or not see that there was other options available to me. So it's like I was doing the right things by being in the therapy and gathering the information, but I wasn't taking action and I was still aligning energetically with the lower vibrational people who would, again, just say like, you're right, Tamara, this is terrible. And it was like, yeah, I know it is. <laughs> it wasn't until um, things got really, really heightened. So when I say I fell hard, um, my son had suicidal ideation and he would utilize that all the time in conversations when I was waking up from school. Uh, you know, when I started to date Jeff, like he, his, his behavior got even more so because without knowing it, and this is just a little backstory as well, when you're a single mom and you have this discomfort towards men, I did lean on my son more than I should have. I will be the first one to admit that because we were codependent. And that's why my therapist wanted me to read the book. And codependency is the most unhealthy way to have a relationship with somebody because you're putting a dependency on them to give you what you feel you are lacking. Mm. And so I had already put my son through a little bit of that. And so when Jeff came in, he felt like his role was being taken away from him, if you will. So when his behaviors were bad, they actually got really bad once I started to um, date Jeff. By the time Ethan was 16, I walked into him at, holding a, like having a chair and a cord in the laundry room. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a big moment. But I, I, how do I explain this? I call this the TSN turning point or the sports network, the, the gameplay change, if you will, because I went to therapy again and I was like, I don't know what to do. This is big, right? And she basically said where mental illness is concerned, Ethan has been running the relationship for this long. And if it continues, he'll be 40 still living in the house, running the relationship. And that at some point, everybody's journey starts at a different age. And some are 30, some are, you know, 40, some are 16. I moved out when I was 17. So I understood that. And so I made the decision when Ethan was 16, that, uh, you know, he couldn't come home unless he sought medical attention. And he decided to live on the streets. And so at 16 years old, my son is living in a like a shelter downtown, living on the streets when we are fully capable of caring for him. Like we have, you know, two working parents and like all of these things. And yet you have a beautiful child not willing to take care of themselves to do the work to come home. Right. And so things heightened. Can you close my door, honey? Things heightened until uh, he was 17 years old. And when he turned 17, something happened that was big enough that I had to say, we're done. Can we just, I'm so sorry, my daughter's right here. No, that's okay. Um, no, yeah, that's okay. Um, so, you know, at 17, 
I looked at my son and I said, we can't be in each other's lives. Like that was it. This is when reflection began because I remember walking into my living room and going, oh, shiter. Mm. I don't know who I am anymore. I have lived as being my mom's daughter to support her. And I have lived to be Ethan's mother supporting him, both very codependent relationships. And when I took those away from myself, I didn't have an identity anymore. Mm. I didn't know who I was. And, and oftentimes, like, this is the same thing. When we take church out, just like I took out, you know, my mom and my son, all of a sudden we're left with this open road without any idea of who we are or what it is that we want for ourselves anymore. Mm-hmm. And that is when the awareness of the patterns started to come in. That's when I started to be able to reflect back on what I was witnessing and see my life from a different capacity. And mm-hmm. so that had to have the willingness, right, to, you know, do the internal decluttering and see, you know, what was mine? Did this come from, you know, nanny? Did this come from the church? Did this come from my mom? Did this come from my dad? This doesn't work for me anymore. I'm an adult. I don't have to believe this. And, you know, I can, I can now choose my own thought processes, actions, beliefs, inner guidance, whatever it is, right? And, mm-hmm. and create the life that vibrates with me and I believe in and I can stand, you know, confidently and declare. So, yeah, it's been a very interesting thing. And I mean, I'm still finding patterns. It was only, what, a month ago that I was working with my mentor and she said, Tamara, I got to tell you something. And I was like, what? And she was like, because <laughs> <laughs> it's never good when a mentor says that to you, right? Like, you're like, oh, shoom. <laughs> it's like, brace yourself. What's coming? This is going to be one of those moments. And she said, Tamara, I want you to think about all the ways in your life right now that you are feeling trapped because you create a problem. We make our own problems to feed an addiction. And I was addicted to feeling trapped without the awareness Mm. that I was doing it. And so, you know, you know me, my, my website, my platforms, my finances, like I was creating ways that I could, would feel trapped because that is what I recognized and knew that was my safe zone mm. a very terrible safe zone but like it was a safe zone nonetheless because that was the only thing that I had to look back on and see right I didn't have a new future that I could create but the awareness of that pattern allows me to shift everything mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting because I'm thinking about so many different places where, you know, even in society now, we're seeing more of a shift into conscious conversation. We're talking about the importance of self-care. We're talking about the importance of self-awareness and taking the time to really get to understand why we think the way we do. That's relatively new, you know, to the point of it being common conversation in society. So, the, the pivot points that we're starting to see now to really take it further, you know, and, and we've talked about this before, self-care is way more than a bubble bath and, you know, a plate of chocolate truffles or some such thing, which I'm not going to turn either one of those down. But, you know, really self-care for me starts with self-awareness. And that's what I'm hearing has been, you know, just really that the one, if there was one thing that you were to point to, it's having that time to almost be forced to become intimately familiar with yourself and intimately aware of 
all the different factors that have been influencing who you've become up to this point. Well, absolutely, because there comes a point where our neurological pathway goes into an autopilot, right? And it will always autopilot us back towards the past because there is a route to follow, Mm -hmm. right? We created the highway to today. And so it is a well-worn path. We've driven it a million times. And so we will just automatically take that same route over and over and over again. But when we get to that self-aware state and we look back and we're like, man, that road needs a lot of work. It look at the potholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got potholes. There's like, you know, it's a terrible road to drive right now after all of these years. You have to be willing, and this is that internal landscape of going within. You need to be able to forge or, or build a new road, right? But that's an uncomfortable association for most people, right? Like that doesn't make somebody go like, yay. And it did <laughs> me at the beginning as well, right? But the only way to create something that you don't already know, whether it's an emotion, whether it's a feeling, whether it's an experience, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, it doesn't matter. The only way to do something you haven't already done is be willing to see that open road, just like I did when I walked in the living room and be willing to pave a new path be willing to step into discomfort, be willing to, you know, cry or break down or, you know, feel the feels or, you know, make yourself do something that you know is good for you. Because the funny thing about humans is we all know what we're supposed to do, right? (laughs) Like it doesn't matter if it's nutrition, it doesn't matter if it's exercise, it doesn't matter if it's self-care, I'm being honest, we all know what we should or shouldn't be doing right? And I'm using the word should purposely here. That's how we talk about it normally, which Mm -hmm. is for those who haven't heard, we never should on ourselves. It's not (laughs) nice, right? And so, you know, it's the idea, right? That you're choosing it by a way of self-love, self-acceptance, self-worth, not because you feel you have to, but because you know you want to. Mm. And that's when things shift. Right. And I think that there's so much power in that moment that oftentimes we we try to deflect and we give that power away to the external circumstances or to, you know, that person who we think we can't do right by or, you know, the voice in our head or what have you. But the power to be able to say, I choose differently that's always within us and it's always within our reach. And yet looking at, you know, kind of this overarching narrative, we haven't been given the permission or been taught how to access that power. If anything, it's actually been systemically separated from who we are and how we have come to be in this version right now. So that for me, I think is, is such an interesting sweet spot where it's like, okay, now you've got the awareness and really, you know, especially if you read any of the, um, you know, the empowerment memes or any of that kind of stuff, you'll see all the little things that'll pop up on your Facebook newsfeed all the time of you have everything you need. Well, this is what we're talking about right here. It's always been within us, but until we're willing to see it and embrace it and act on it, 
that's where the magic happens. That's that pivot point where we stop being the victim of everything that has happened up to this point, And then we choose a new path from there. So what would you say to that person who's kind of right at the tippy end of that decision and they're not quite fully owning their power yet? What, what words of encouragement would you have for them? And I always try and keep things as simple as possible because we, life is super simple and then we make it hard, right? Like we choose difficult, we choose struggle because that's what we have seen and that's what we've witnessed and that's the pattern that we've been taught. And so uh, my, my, my advice is A, to keep it as simple as you possibly can. And the first step of the journey of paving a new road into a future you don't know yet but are willing to, um, you know, experience is simply by asking yourself, and, and I put this in everything, ask yourself one question every single day. And that is, what can I do for myself today that will make me feel just a smidge better than yesterday? And the key to this, you guys, is actually doing what you hear. <laughs> That's the part that makes the difference. This is the part where you're saying to God, universe, whatever your belief is that I'm calling in the workers and we are going to begin the process of, you know, building this road, right? I'm, I'm now choosing this for myself and for the people that I'm here to serve or my family or whatever. And so one small question, what can I do today for myself? Because when your inner being is calm and peaceful and you are grounded into who you are, then nothing external will affect you. And that's a really big concept. Like I know that that's far away, but it begins with simply asking yourself, what can I do for me? And not allowing yourself to feel guilty or that you're taking away from something from your family or that, you know, this is wrong or anything that you might be feeling. And giving that permission to take that small step every day, whether it's have a bath, right? Or eat the plate mm -hmm. of chocolate truffles or go <laughs> for a walk or, you know, make Sometimes a hair. as simple as having a glass of water and just yeah. you know, recognizing the, the simple things that we need. But there are so many times where I have asked that question and the answer has been drink more water. <laughs> <laughs> like it's okay. I can do that. That's something easy. I can do that right now. <laughs> They're not going to tell you to like, you know, quit your job and do to do like that, that your inner, it's really just learning to tune into you, mm. right? It's changing the conversation from listening from an external. Somebody's telling me something and starting the conversation of listening to yourself. And that's the game changer right there. And so simply asking one question, what can I do today to feel a little bit better than yesterday? Or what can is one thing I can do for myself today? And that action without, like, no, this is a non-option, people. you got to do the thing. <laughs> that, that's the piece of the puzzle. Yeah, so it's, it's a two-step, one answer. I mean, one question. <laughs> Ask the question and then do the thing. Right, and like I said, in the beginning, it could be drinking water. Like, that's, this is the knowing. Your body, you know what you need to do. That's the secret. Mm -hmm. So what if you actually listen to yourself? Imagine... Right. The incredible new things that would come into your life if you paid attention to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love this idea of just how beautifully you just said that pay attention to you, because I think that so often, and again, especially not only in organized religion cultures, but also just main street society for generations upon generations, we as women were always told to put ourselves last. Yes. And there is just, there's so much programming that has gone into this for literally hundreds and hundreds of years that has this hierarchy set up as such that 
we are supposed to take care of everyone else. And I remember being a little kid and the, the little uh, acronym of the way we spell joy is that we put Jesus first and then others and then ourselves. You know, even just something as simple as that, you know, little Bible lesson uh, or Sunday school lesson has this internalizing effect of I don't rate high enough on the scale that I need to put everyone else and everything else before me. And then when you get into the life of being a mom, being a wife, being a business owner, having clients, you've just added dozens of people and priorities that all come before you if you hold to the old school way of thinking. Which I mean, I was guilty of. Like I've only been, no, ditto. For, you know, right? Like, like I lived on that external belief that you know I was here to serve society, to serve my kids. Like, you know, as a mom, especially, we do feel like our we have this baby, and it is our soul's life purpose to care for this child, whatever they need, right? Mm-hmm. And so. We become, that's the first, like I was 19 when I became the mom and I think you were young too, right? Where all of a sudden that's a big shift at a young age. Like I hadn't even hit my twenties and I was already like, okay, got to right. be a little human. And then, you know, <laughs> it took the, the, the greatest thing that I can say now though, like my knowing. So again, four years ago, guys, like I'm in my forties now, I'm 41. So it was like not until 37 that I started to actually understand this concept. Um, is that this is the greatest gift I can give you. This is the greatest lesson that I have learned. And that is when we are caught in doing things for other people, like when we get into that space of, I've got to make sure that my clients are taken care of and my, you know, ill mom is taken care of. And, you know, my, my partner's dinner is on the table and the kids have their lunches made and all of those things. This, if you're over there and you feel like you're on a hamster wheel and you're like, it's just nothing but chaos and confusion. That's the difference of you not choosing to be inside your internal space. That's the, you know, external validation seeking and all of that. So that's like the trigger or the warning. If you're Mm -hmm. feeling exhausted, chaotic, confused on a hamster wheel, the only thing you need to do is shift your perception from grounding it. Like even I woke up anxious today because I have anxiety. And uh, this morning I was super, super anxious. And I was like, okay, I've got to do all the things. I've got to get all the things. And you get into that exterior, you know, I've got to make sure I get this to this person. I've got to like make everybody's lives easier by getting all the things done, right? And so I'm in the shower and I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stop. I'm going to pause. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to come back into the present moment. I'm going to come back into myself and I'm going to choose this space because when we choose to just slow down and come back Mm -hmm. in, we can always find a solution. There is always an answer. The day doesn't change. The things we need to do don't change. What changes is how we look at it. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden it's easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't tell you how many times I've had the same experience and I know countless others that as we continue this practice and doing so, you know, again, both individually, but also collectively, because you'll find that once you start to be very intentional about your own growth and committed to becoming the best version of yourself. It's not about getting the gold stars at that point, because that's the way that we always were. We always were about getting the gold stars and the perfectionism and the workaholic bit. I mean, that was totally me. That was my life to a T. But then to be able to pause 
and to say, no, I'm coming back to this moment, the more that we do that and the more that we, you know, kind of anchor into that piece, I found that my entire world has changed about the people who are in it because I'm surrounded with people who also are committed to their best selves. And it's that continual practice again, individually. And because we're all in this together, there's so much more power here that it's not, you know, it's not just me. I'm not isolated. And there's a community, there's a strengthening that happens because we're all committed to this, you know, kind of higher way of being. And I know I'm walking on the woo-woo language here. Like I'm right teetering on the side. Um, but I think you and I both are probably in the woo-woo camp already. <laughs> I know you I'm like, I got my Greek flag flying behind me. I have a picture <laughs> of no one can see that I have a picture. Like I had a picture actually made of me painted as a fairy. So like I can honestly- You are officially on the woo-woo side. I think I'm still like woo and a half. <laughs> I'm, I'm very close. But I mean, really, there's something about that collective experience when it comes to the spirituality. And I think that that's often what we miss so much when we've decided not to be in an organized religion in a church format. That has always been a piece of the pie. And when we choose to walk away from that, we lose the community. So I think being able to replace that in some way, shape or form is an incredible part of the healing process as well. A hundred percent. I truly believe like when you start to anchor back into yourself and what your true belief is, because it's going to shift and change. We're never meant to be static anyway. Like we go through different seasons of our lives and we can look at, you know, the fact that I was, you know, baptized and confirmed Anglican and I was surrounded by that community at that time. And even when I was an atheist, I was surrounded by that community at that time. Right. And like we, we, we bring to us that in which we are in that moment. But I always explain it as like, you know, you can drive on the highway a million times and not notice any cars, not the make, the model, nothing, right? But when you decide that you're going to go car shopping, when you make a decision to, you know, invest in, you know, whatever make and model that it is that you feel aligned with, you're going to start to see that car everywhere. You'll see it parked on the street. You'll see it driving by you. You'll see it on the highway. And this, to me, community is no different. We don't see it until we are it. Mm. And once we are it, then it's like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> right? And then like, so even when you were saying in that conversation, you know, conversation is becoming more conscious. I would say, no, we're becoming more conscious. The mm. conversations have always been there, but mm -hmm. now we, because we're choosing this for ourselves are now receiving them, hearing them coming into, you know, the right type of people who are willing to have them. Mm -hmm. I don't Absolutely. think that the society changes. I think we change and the, then we well, my hope is that as we continue in that, in that community and in that experience, that we are in a place that we can start to shift what the societal norms are. And I think yeah. we're trying to see that. Um, and so that's, that's more of what I'm, you know, kind of getting to or having that hope that as we continue, let's talk about this. Let's really go there in the terms of feeling the feels and, you know, hash out what happened and how it impacted how we show up in the world now. The more that we can do that, the more that we can start to make the shifts within ourselves. And then again, that has a spill out effect on the collective to go from here.
I love this conversation because I think it truly, truly, truly matters. And I think that doing it from a space within without becoming defensive or fearful or, you know what I mean? Because having those conversations, especially where religion and spirituality are concerned, can cause a lot of discomfort. It can cause a lot of triggers. And Mm -hmm. like you you see the people who get angry if you're not participating or following or all that kind of stuff. But there's a way to have an educated, logical, wonderful, expansive conversation where you respect each other's religions and are curious about them without judgment, right? Right? Mm-hmm. And I'm only saying this because in the spiritual world, there is one particular woman who has, you know, unveiled that she's gone back to Christianity in a very, very, she's like the founder of the woo, if you will. She is like <laughs> the like foundation of it. And she has just gone to a huge um, step in the opposite direction towards, you know, demon possession and Christianity and things like that. And it's such an interesting thing to see the community get all flustered and overwhelmed and like attack and all of those things. And I think that the real truth is when we can get to a space of saying, great, I'm so happy that you've chosen that if that's what feels right for you. But don't, it's not about what's right or wrong. It's about choosing what feels good. If that is what feels like your right season for you, then I'm going to honor that. And maybe I'm going to ask some questions and maybe I'm going to be curious about what made you too, like what your decision-making process was and how you came to this, but it doesn't mean that what she's doing is wrong. Right. Yeah. And curiosity without the judgment coming yeah. from a place of, you know, honest and simple curiosity without a backstory, without an agenda, without any sort of, you know, trying to make sense of this. It's the other person's journey and yeah. that's it. And I think that that's something that I, I do hold, uh, evangelical Christianity specifically responsible for (laughs) in my own life in the idea of, you know, it was our job to go out and save the world. And even, you know, as young kids being told that it is our job to go save the world. When in the Bible that I read, that was actually Jesus's job, not mine. Not to say that, you know, I don't have a responsibility for my fellow human beings to love them and to be present with them. That's a very different thing than putting the entire weight of the human population's eternal salvation on a four-year-old. You know, a little, little different perspective there. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Right. Well, Tamara, this has been such a great conversation. As I knew it would be, it always is. It doesn't matter if we're like talking about how are the kids or what's the latest thing in your business stuff. We always will get to some really deep, fun, spiritual stuff. And I really appreciate that about our friendship. Me too. Like, for instance, you guys, Tanya didn't know I was baptized and confirmed Anglican until probably about five minutes before we <laughs> pressed record. She was like, what? I'm like, wait, what? Run that by me one more time. Yeah. We're always going to get to new layers. And I love that. I love that too. Well, for those of you who are on our mailing list, we are doing something a little bit new. First of all, we have our private Facebook group and we get bonus information, bonus access. So um, we're going to wrap this part of the conversation up and Tamara and I are going to go record the bonus for everybody who is in our private community. Um, So it's all free to join all that fun stuff. Um, But if you'd like to see what we talk about after we cut, uh, then be sure to join us in that and we'll have the link for you there in the show notes. So Tamara, thank you again so much for this conversation. It's been lovely to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for everyone who's listened. Absolutely. All right. We'll see you guys soon. Bye. 